Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. Breeders, we're here for you. Whether you're a seasoned breeder or planning your very first litter, let the Trupanion policy give you peace of mind with their additional breeding rider. This covers concerns such as emergency C-sections. Trupanion also provides an exclusive breeder support program just for breeders that lets you provide your litters with a special offer of their insurance. So you can take comfort knowing that your litters are getting the best care possible in their new homes. And signing up couldn't be any easier. Just click the Trupanion link on my partner page. And don't forget to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I have a very special guest for you guys today. This is a dear friend of mine from a long, long time. This is Linda Rydell. Ramblewood English Springer Spaniels. You guys will all be familiar with that name or should be if you aren't. And Linda is an AKC judge. She is a longtime breeder of Springers. And Linda and I happen to be at an international dog show together this last weekend judging. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this format, which is very cool, as well as Linda's history in the breed of Springer Spaniels. So welcome, Linda. Thank you. I'm so excited to get to visit with you. And while we were at the dog show, we went to dinner one night and Linda was driving and we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that at all. But we all survived and that's really all you need to know. <laughs> we all see different routes in life. <laughs> so talk to me because I really enjoyed the format of this international dog show. And you've done a couple of these before you said. Yes. So walk our listeners through, walk everybody through kind of what this process looks like and kind of what you like about it. Okay. Well, I think what I really like about it is in this COVID time, it's been great for people to get their dogs out, which they haven't been able to do. And we used to have years ago, all breed matches that were huge. I mean, I can remember in California, they get up to 2000 dogs in a match. Right where you train your dog well that doesn't happen anymore so these international shows are very good for the beginning person and for people who need to get their dogs trained and out and exposed to all kinds of people and other dogs so it works out well i like it and it's i'm gonna make sure i get it right i a b c a is the name yes that's it Uh and they hold these shows nationally right they're all across the country they do i think they're tied in with fci because that's all the fci breeds can be shown which of course at a regular dog show they can and they do hold them and they usually run about 200 dogs i would imagine at the most so a couple things that i found fascinating so there were what six of us judging correct And there were at most 200 dogs. Right. And I know, I counted, I was assigned 44 dogs on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. Now, 44 dogs at an American Kennel Club show might take me an hour and a half. Right. If I was really slow and pokey and confused, it would take me two hours. 
Right. They had scheduled me to do those 44 dogs in four hours. That's because of the written critiques that go with each dog. And so we go through 10 point on each and every dog written critique. Right. We do. And then we have to rate them. It's a good learning experience for everybody. Yes. Judges and they run two shows a day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And I believe it's if you get three V1 ratings, if you're an adult dog, it qualifies you for an international championship. So you can get it in a weekend. Right. If you stick to enter all four shows. And you don't need competition, right? No, you do not. That's what I think is cool. Mm-hmm. I went once in, I don't know, 1997, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. my dog I took was an international champion, even though there was no other German wire-haired pointers because right. he was rated V1 three times. Right. And, you know, it's great for people who have a breed that isn't recognized by AKC. That's the only way they're ever going to be able to get anything is to go to these international shows and get a title. And it is a recognized title. It is. It's a little costly, but... You know, honestly, what were the entry fees? Like $40? I don't think it's any more... Well, but then it costs you to register the dog. Oh, okay. okay. And then it costs you X amount of dollars to get the award. Award, okay. The championship certificate certified and Mm -hmm. sent to you. So Mm -hmm. it's a process, but it's great for, especially now, getting dogs out. Yeah. And they did a great job. Everything was masked and distanced and, you know, all the things that you should. I mean, they yelled at us at one point. People were too cozy. Spread out or we're going to shut it down. You know, Mm -hmm. I liked the very low key. Like people weren't super dressed. People could just come and experience a dog show at just such a lower key level than what happens at say, Rose City Classic, you know, the comparison is night and day. Well, with the beginning people, they're afraid of AKC judges, and we were all AKC judges, and they found out we're humans just like them and can carry on a conversation, and they get a lot more relaxed and enjoy their day and enjoy their dog, you know. Absolutely. I love the opportunity to do some teaching. Yes. So, Each dog gets its rating and its title based on the Uh critique that we write. There is placements and there are group placements. And the other thing that I find fascinating is there are two people who judge best in show. Correct. Yeah, I think that's a good deal. Mm -hmm. I love that. So you and I standing in the ring saying, no, I like this one. No, I like that one. (laughs) Well, we agreed. after We We did. We did, but I love that process, right? That there's more than just one eye on it. And each person is different. So, for example, we had another judge we had there was Brian Martin, who recently retired as an AKC executive field rep, who's now judging. And he had a very different opinion of, say, for example, one of the dogs than you and I did. Yes, he did. so that sort of interplay I found to be really fascinating also. Yeah, it does. And it all depends on where your background is and where you're coming from, you know. And they run different levels. You have the puppy groups, you have the bread by groups, yes, best in shows, and then you have the adult best groups and best in shows. So And from the perspective you were just talking about in terms of getting your dog in the ring, getting yourself in the ring, if you're just learning right. how to show your dog, that you have so many chances. 
you could be in the ring six times, eight times right. in one day. Yep, you can. You keep coming back if you win your breed division, if you're a puppy or something, and you come back into the group. And then if you win the group, you get to go back in. I think they even compete overall, didn't they, for the Grand Right, Seager. the big Grand Seeger, right. That yeah. was fabulous. The supreme winner of the day. And the ribbons were gorgeous. I mean, they're yes. bigger than me. <laughs> yeah, beautiful ribbons, and it worked really well. It ran smooth, and of course, writing for me is not right. hard. <laughs> well, your background, you were a school teacher, am I right? Yeah, a retired teacher, an English right. major, so I right. like I, I was a up. journalist. I'm like, oh, you mean I need to write this really fast? Yeah. Okay, I got that. But it's hard for some judges, and it makes yes. it good for them to be able to put down why they put that dog where they did. And a lot of us can see it and not elucidate it. Right. right. And I That's think true. that is a wonderful training tool. And so now I'm going to get a little bit political on the dog show world. I have long advocated. I know, I know. Don't do don't do politics. We're not doing real politics, Linda. Stop. <laughs> no politics. But I have long advocated in the American Kennel Club to pursue or investigate the concept that's similar to how they handle dog shows in the UK, where you have an A level and a B level show, right. and the A level show would be comparable to what we just did, where it's mm -hmm. a, sort of a glorified fun match. You have in my case, newer judges, and certainly not in your case, but you have judges who are learning how to judge. Right. And they have to learn by writing critiques. The handlers and the exhibitors all have to learn. The dogs have to learn. And then you take that and you transfer it to the B level, the championship point shows. Right. And I just think that would be such an amazing way to really build our sport. And so this is my advocacy pitch. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, I mean, I grew up with a big match, you know. Right. I mean, there were people that were at matches all the time. It was like a professional match circuit. Yes. We don't have those anymore, and yeah. it's, it's a loss. It's a great loss. It is a great loss, and that's where I see something like this sort of filling in. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation a couple of years back with Lori Wilson-Paust talking the same thing, that she oh. had one of her first matches was judged by, for God's sakes, Frank Sabella. Right. I mean, oh you my know, goodness. Right. <laughs> and she won a bicycle. Right. I mean, this is a big deal that we're missing. Uh -huh. I think it is a huge, huge piece of what we're missing. Right. And that this system with fewer dogs, fewer people, more interaction, more written critiques that help people learn. This is what I mean when I say a short upper arm. Right. This is what I mean when I say that there shouldn't be a black spot in your yellow lab. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Things are really important and can help people become better exhibitors when they transition to the American Kennel Club shows. Or if I was to have my way, the B-level championship shows. Right. Well, and it's also good for the judges, too, because... That's what I mean. We don't have any conversation anymore yeah. with the exhibitors, you know. Yeah. They don't let us speak to them and tell them why we placed that dog right. as we did over your own dog. Right. And it's important for judges to be able to verbalize that and see that and relate, you know. And I think that it means so much to exhibitors. I talk to exhibitors all the time, people on the podcast, what have you, who would like give a body part to just get the judge to say why. 
you know, and they may not agree with it or they may not think you're right or what have you. Yeah. But I think that's a two part thing, right? The judge has to know why. Right. And the exhibitor needs to know why. And both of those things help build trust within the sport. Right. And it helps breed better dogs and educate better judging. Yeah, educate better judges, better exhibitors, better Mm -hmm. dogs all the way around. I think better. That's all I'm saying. So, (laughs) and and AKC's gonna hear this. It's okay. It's all right. You know what? They don't have to take my advice. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's the two way street, both for the exhibitor and the judge. You know, too many exhibitors are too terrified with all the time things and everything else to say to the judge, "Why did I not win today?" And the judge pops out and says, well, I like the other dog better. That is not a reason. Right. So there's not any learning going along, just a little antagonism there. I can appreciate from the AKC's perspective, who wants to have a fisticuffs at the dog show, right? Right. Definitely. And I get that. But I do think this is just so foundational in our understanding. And we have gone a long way from the foundations of our sport, in my opinion for all 10 cents that that's worth. I know. It's changed a lot since I started in the late 60s. <laughs> right. I, right. And that was why I really wanted people to learn a little bit more about you because you are someone who's been judging dogs since I've been showing dogs. Yeah, 1980. Yep. I started. Literally since I've been showing dogs. And I'm not sure. Sometimes I think we sort of take people for granted. And I say this all the time. When I do live panel discussions at the dog show, judges were not hatched from an egg. No. We all started somewhere, including as judges. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to give you the opportunity to share your background for people to understand that you too were not hatched from an egg. (laughs) (laughs) Some people maybe will dispute that. (laughs) Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Are you ready to take your breeding program to the next level and decode your dogs? Embark is celebrating DNA Month with reduced tiered pricing during their annual sale. Stock up and save all month long with exclusive offers to celebrate. Embark's industry-leading full-panel dog DNA test identifies health risks, physical traits, and genetic diversity for breeding programs. Embark helps breeders select ideal breeding pairs to support healthy pedigrees and the lifelong care of dogs. Did you know you can plan for coat color, type, and other traits in your puppies? That's where Embark comes in. Don't miss our annual DNA Month sales event. To get up to speed before you breed, visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off of each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PureDogTalk. You are very, very well known for your Ramblewood English Springer Spaniels, but is that what you started with? My philosophy is, you know, you only ruin one breed in a lifetime. <laughs> I don't jump around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You know. So how did you decide on Springers? How did you get started in Springers? Well, when I was a kid in the Los Angeles area, I used to show hunter jumper horses. 
And my folks got divorced. We could not afford the horses. So then I went to the local obedience class with my grandmother's Shetland sheepdog, which was as big as a collie. <laughs> and where the training class was, was a pretty well-known German Shepherd kennels at the time, which I didn't know. And the owners of the kennel saw this shy teenage girl showing this big Sheltie. Then they asked if I would work some of their German Shepherd puppies, and that's how it went. And I just got right back into the competition. I was always very quiet. I kind of low-key even as a judge. I don't say a lot, you know. <laughs> you know me, but you don't hear me much. <laughs> right. I hear you, but not everybody else hears you. <laughs> no, yeah. And so I started training. You know, it was the time when you were a kid, but we weren't allowed to take money or anything. And then I teamed up because the one girl in the high school that I went to was showing Akitas, and she was a year older than me, but couldn't drive, and I could drive. And I was so impressed with her because I figured she was like the next coming that I would go to this huge Akita kennels, which actually started the breed in this country, Akita Tani Kennels. It's very famous. Yes, Akita Tani is very, very famous. <laughs> and I worked with them for, I was honored to pick up the dog pens. They couldn't figure out why this. 16-year-old child was just so honored just to be there. And so they let me show one of the dogs at a Akita specialty. It didn't even have a Japanese name. It wasn't that good. It was named Blackfoot. I'll never forget it. And there was like 80 Akitas in her. And of course, my girlfriend was showing all the first stringers and me and this raw bone puppy were showing. And I ran around the ring and I hit the ring post three times and flattened with side of the ring. Oh, my God. And... Lo and behold, that dog won the entire specialty. And I, I broke down and cried because I wasn't supposed to be the winner. My girlfriend was. And of course, the Harrells, who are the Ketatani breeders, said, oh, that's okay. That's okay. And it sort of went from there. You know, and I worked for them for years. Oh, my gosh. Now, you have told me over the course of the years that I showed you Akitas a million years ago that you started in Akitas, but I did not realize it was Akitatani. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I put them on the map. And then somebody who went on who was a beginner, Rusty Cunningham, known as Rusty, Rusty Short, Short, when I <laughs> I taught her so I could retire and oh date boys. <laughs> that <laughs> is funny. Rusty Short and Carol Fody and I have a long history in Akitas. And oh, well, wow. Tell Rusty. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. She'll know. I mean, she oh lived right gosh. down the street from the Harrells. And she was Cunningham at the time. So I taught her because the dog shows were on every weekend. And of course, we were winning in the big, huge miscellaneous classes. You know? Yes, because this was prior to the Akitas being AKC recognized. Yeah. All these breeds were in the miscellaneous, like Shih Tzus, Wheaton Terriers, Cattle Dogs. All of them were in there. It looked like a group show. And I was going to college and I wanted to date on the weekend. So I taught Rusty so I could have a life. And, of course, the Akita Tani Kennel people, Liz and Al, were so excited to be winning such big wins, you know. And then then they got in with the Hollywood crowd, and a lot of TV stars and stuff like that would come and buy dogs. And I sort of got sold with them. I would have to go to Beverly Hills and Bel Air and teach these goofy people how to raise their dogs and not let the coyotes kill them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so tell yeah. me your favorite TV star that you took an Akita and trained it for him. 
Well, it probably not known by you, but it was Howard K. Smith. He was a famous uh, news commentator. I do actually I know Howard K. Smith. Yeah. Burgess Meredith and Elsa Lanchester were turned yeah. down because they were too crazy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. And Pat Harrington, who was on, I can't remember that series. I was at his house a lot because he wasn't getting it. <laughs> well, Akitas are not a breed you'd want to not get it with. Yeah, here's a 16 year old kid telling these movie stars, you know, shape up. <laughs> Somehow I can see this, Linda. I, I'm just saying. They had no knowledge. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. My life was getting too busy. And, you know, she had an Akita kettle of 40 adults, so it was yeah. a big deal. Oh my gosh, that is fabulous. And she's the one who taught me breeding. So that's how I started. How did you get from Akita's and the Akita Tani dogs to Springer's? Well, my desire always was to own a German Shorthair Pointer. That was the coolest dog. And it was just me and my mom after the divorce. And we were living in apartments and I couldn't have a dog. But she told me that I had to get off the horses because I was still secretly riding horses on the side. <laughs> so... That's hard to keep secret. You know, horses are big. I know, I know. And I actually owned a horse that she didn't know about. Oh, my God. Somebody else. (laughs) So, you know, I told her I would get off the horses and get rid of the horse, which was, of course, wild, if we would move somewhere where I could have a dog. And so I wanted a German shorthair. And she saw a picture of one. And she said, no, it's way too big. And so... In the paper in the L.A. Times was an ad for uh, English Springer Litter. And I knew I only had like one day to get this dog because my mom would put her foot down. And I told her it was just like the president's dog, Fala the Cocker. Yes. A different color. Not quite, <laughs> but okay. And then it kept growing and she couldn't understand that. <laughs> so that was my very first dog. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, I'm laughing so hard. This is fabulous. And so I assume it went from there. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, the puppy I bought, of course, I did not understand bad bites in those days, but it was beautifully bred. It was out of no lotus little acorns last winter. So, I mean, it was really good pedigree wise, but he wasn't a show dog. And then through the years, I kept showing other people's dogs for them and trying to have a college life on the side. Then I finally kept researching and I went to the 1964 Springer National, which was in Southern California. And the dog that won it, I thought was just, was Muller's Blazing King. And his sister, Flo Bob's Me Too, went best opposite. And so then I finally got one out of that combo. But I had to send six dogs back before oh I kept one. God. I would send the money and I'd write good letters and I didn't want them to know how old I was. <laughs> I was a little bit young to be starting out, you know. Oh, my gosh. Finally, I got one. And he became a famous dog. Welcome, Happy Talk. Oh, my God. And so over the course of the last, what would it be? Let's see. Oh, 50 years. (laughs) I was going to say 50. I'm 53, so we're right in there. (laughs) Yeah. I think my first litter was in 1971. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So 50 years of breeding Springers. Right. On a small hobby basis. Yeah. Right. 
Never had more than seven dogs. If I got to eight, somebody whipped. Because <laughs> I'm teaching, I'm working. I have children. You know, I have a whole deal, a husband and everything else. So it was Amazing. always a hobby. But you told me you've produced in those 50 years, how many champions? Uh, over 180, which in most of them, I ran around the ring myself and finished probably at least a hundred of them. Now I can't run so fast. <laughs> so so yeah, I kill judge. your pain, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Chihuahuas are looking really good to me. I'm just saying. Yeah. But I've had a lot of dogs in the top 10 and, you know, just on a shoestring budget. And so talk to us because I think this is very resonant for a lot of our listeners. Mm -hmm. What was the secret to 180 plus champions with a limited basis kennel Mm -hmm. owner handled. Yeah. How were you able to do that? What was your secret to success? Well, I had in my mind's eye what I thought was the perfect springer, you know, and I went with that. I breed very heavy line bred. You know, I'm really, I breed very tight because that's how you set type. Mm -hmm. And my dogs are pretty well known nationwide from longtime people, what their qualities are. They can recognize one of my dogs. And you just have to be true to the standard always. I find so many people have not a clue what their standard says on their dog. Regardless of what breed it is, they don't know. <laughs> and that's so important. Read your standard, people. <laughs> many times, many times. And you have to be, uh, nobody's more critical of my dogs than I am. I don't have a blind's eye to their cuteness. Mm-hmm. And if they don't cut it, I find them great homes. You know, if you're going to only keep seven and eight is going down the road, then that seems like a pretty yeah, that, you know, hardcore puppy, way to go, man. That's from puppy to veteran. That was it. You know, so mm-hmm. number eight always was looking for another good home. <laughs> but Linda, I think that's a really important point. And people, I think, struggle with this. And I know I have made use of retirement homes. So talk to us about why. And specifically how finding a great retirement home for your mature dog who's retired from competition, Mm -hmm. why and how is that a good thing? It's great. You know, they've done their show career. They've bred whatever litters you did. It's time for them to find a couch where they can sit on the rest of their life. My dogs are pretty well known to have excellent temperaments because I taught the youth of America. For 35 years, none of my students went to Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) They were all a little too spirited for that. (laughs) And so when I come home from work, I want something that's nice, easy, loves me, and no problems with their temperament. And so Mm -hmm. my reputation got known, and I have people standing in line for my retired dogs generation after generation. And that's great. You know, and I think I personally believe that a retired show dog is the most underrepresented, under-admired dog. Right. It's been everywhere. It's done everything. It's house trained, crate trained, leash trained, bomb proof, goes to the groomer and just lays there. Right. I mean, talk about your most amazing pet dog And it's a retired show dog. And I've done it more times than I can count. Like you, I had to keep sort of a limited number of dogs. I had client dogs. I couldn't have any of my own dogs. I had a kennel full of client dogs. And so I just think that that is something. 
And there's been a few special ones over the years that born with me, died with me. I get that. But I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we don't take the consideration that you and I have that is a dog having its very own couch is a good thing. Yeah. And people, that's what they want. They want a well-trained dog that fits right in. And of course, you know, if you have a cookie, my dogs will go anywhere. (laughs) Well, Springers are well known for their food drive. So that's good. (laughs) And it's been great. So talk to me a little bit. We're short on time, but I did want to touch on this one. You have always bred show dogs. Have you adventured into any of the field work, any of the performance work with your dogs? Yes, I have clients who have bought dogs from me who've put a lot of hunting titles on. Currently, the most titled English Springer in the history of the breed was from me. It has so many titles and hunting and agility and a champion. I don't even know what they are. And then currently, one of my clients is getting the parent club for the top performance dog of the year. So my dogs can do it and they can hunt. It's just, I can't. <laughs> right, right. right. I, I can't shoot a gun worth beans and I'm not going to be tromping through the wood, the mud and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> You're killing me, man. I, <laughs> I mean, they can do it. I breed it into them, but I'm not going to use it, you know. Right, so. right. <laughs> well, and I think, again, so much of what we do preserving our breeds is preserving that original instinct, that original drive, that original trainability. Right. Definitely. Nothing is prettier than judging a beautiful sporting group with a bird lands in it. And some of them see it. On point. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. On point, you know, and then there's others that, you know, like, oh, I don't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The show in Wyoming in a barn with pigeons roosting in the rafters at the end of the down and back. And every single wire hair pointer in the ring goes down, goes on point. You can't get them to come back. Right. (laughs) That was a day. (laughs) That was a day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, Linda, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for having information, your knowledge, your history. I think that so often in this sport, we lose sight of people. And I appreciate very much your time. Well, appreciate you having me. Thanks, Laura. You take care. All right, crew. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. 
drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.